Hey there everybody, you're listening to The Raven's Grove. I'm your host, Dahi, and today we're going to be taking a bit of a break from our usual format. Instead of talking about a specific topic or theme, I'm just going to be telling you folks some of my favourite fun facts. So to start off, did you know that during the filming of Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi, they were filming in British Columbia, right? And they were filming the Andor scenes. The late Peter Mayhew, the actor who played Chewbacca, had to be accompanied by two members of the film crew wearing high-vis gear just standing off-screen. So the, that area of the North American continent of US and Canada is very famous for Bigfoot sightings. And the, the fear was that in this costume as Chewbacca, the 7 foot 1 or 216 centimeters tall Mayhew may have been mistaken for a Bigfoot and potentially harmed by hunters in the area. Thankfully, he wasn't, but, well, that's one thing, yeah. Now, fact number two. Now, many of you out there may have heard of the famous metal band Motorhead and its frontman and bass player Lemmy Kilmister. Now, I'm planning on doing an episode very soon on the Ravens Grove on the evolution and history of metal music, so stay tuned for that. But what many people don't know is Lemmy's connection with arguably, in my opinion, the greatest guitarist of all time, Jimi Hendrix. You see, Lemmy got his start in the music industry as a roadie for Hendrix, and apparently, Lemmy was actually the one responsible for procuring Hendrix's LSD tabs. Lemmy once said in an interview that Hendrix taught him how to do his job as a roadie while tripping out on eight, six to eight tabs of LSD. I mean, Odin's empty eye socket, that is some next-level craziness. And it's also a testament to Lemmy's insane talent that he was able to do his job while tripping on that level of uh, hallucinogenics. Alright, so fact number three. Many of you may have heard of the legendary French sci-fi author of the 1800s, Jules Verne. For those of you who have not, Jules Verne wrote, among other works, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Around the World in 80 Days, Journey to the Center of the Earth, Robert the Conqueror. He's considered one of the fathers of modern-day science fiction. In fact, the steampunk subculture is heavily based on his writings, to the point that they are one of the almost require reading. If you're going to get into steampunk, you kind of have to read Jules Verne to understand the aesthetics and the ideals. However, what most people don't know is that when Jules Verne wrote From the Earth to the Moon, he calculated the best place on Earth to launch a spacecraft to have it visit the moon and return. His calculations on the exact location, he placed it in Florida. They, it was only 50 miles away from where NASA launched the Apollo space missions in Cape Canaveral. Now, NASA calculated that te- location in the 1960s with the best technology available to them at the time, using what is essentially now seriously antiquated by that time cutting-edge computers. Now, Jules Verne was predicting that lo- rough location with only a 50 miles difference, and he predicted it without any computers uh, roughly 100 years earlier in 1865. Incidentally, Jules Verne is actually also the direct inspiration for the taser used by law enforcement personnel, which is based on the Leyden bullet in his work, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. I'll be doing another episode on Jules Verne's work because I'm a massive fan of his, so stay tuned for that. Fact number four, Gillian Anderson, the actress who famously played Agent Dana Scully on the cult classic TV show The X-Files, actually based her performance as Agent Scully on Jodie Foster's portrayal of Agent Clarice Starling in the 1991 film Silence of the Lambs. This fact was not lost on the creators of the Hannibal films, and when they made the film Hannibal in 2001, they originally tried to get Anderson for the role of Clarice Starling. Unfortunately, in her contract with the, for a role in, in The X-Files, Anderson was not allowed to portray any other FBI agent in a piece of media, and so sadly she had to decline the offer. Julianne Moore was cast instead, but the funny thing is, her depiction of Clarice Starling is in turn heavily based on Dana Scully, both in a lot of the mannerisms and in physical appearance. 
So fact number five. In May 2013, the Disney Corporation tried to trademark the phrase Dia de los Muertos. For those of you who don't speak Spanish or are not familiar with the phrase, it translates to the Day of the Dead and is an extremely popular holiday worldwide, but especially in Latin America, Canada, and the U.S. Originating from Me- in Mexico, Dia de los Muertos takes place every November 2nd and commemorates remembering lost loved ones. The iconic Calavera skulls, often called sugar skulls, are an international symbol of Mexico and of Mexican culture. Disney claimed that they were planning on making an animated film based around the holiday and, quote, wanted to protect their film, end quote. However, unsurprisingly, the sheer mammoth amount of extremely angry backlash from people of all walks of life from all over the world made Disney back down. But with the release in 2017 of the Pixar film Coco, which is based around the holiday, it made people very uneasy. In more recent developments in that stuff, um, there was actually a bit of a kerfuffle online recently with Disney trying to trademark the name Loki. Now, for Norse Celtic pagans like myself, and for people who believe in the Norse gods, Loki is one of the most widely worshipped gods in that pantheon, and so everyone was up in arms going, oh my god, Disney's trying to trademark a genuine deity that we worship. Now, Disney came out and said, look, this is not what we're after. We are trying to trademark the use of Loki in the context of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But the fact of the matter is Disney tried and failed to trademark Dia de los Muertos. They tried to trademark the Swahili phrase Hakuna Matata, which is actually a legitimate phrase in Swahili. So it's not a stretch of the imagination to say that Disney was trying to and they are just covering their asses. Sorry for swearing there, by the way, but that's just a term and phrase. Fact number six, in October 1998, an unknown prankster impaled a pumpkin weighing approximately 22.6 kilos or 50 pounds on top of a spire at Cornell University in the US in the middle of the night without being seen. This pumpkin impalement was later to be found at a height of over 52 meters or over 170 feet off the ground. To this day, no one knows how the prankster managed to accomplish his feat without being caught on camera or being noticed. Honestly, if that prankster is listening to this, I just want to say, nicely done, mate. That was fantastic. Uh, Fact number seven. In England, there is a garden dedicated entirely to plants that can kill you. It's called the Poison Garden and is located in Northumberland's Olnwick Castle Gardens. Originally set up in 1996 by the Duchess of Northumberland. Northumberland is in the far northeast of the UK, by the way. It's right near the border of Scotland. The Poison Garden features a staggering variety of lethal plants, such as the commonly found laurel bushes, which most people don't know is actually poisonous, the extremely deadly poison wolfsbane, also known as monkshood, the South American hallucinogenic poison, angel's trumpet, the castor oil plant, which is where the deadly poison ricin can be extracted. Unfortunately, ricin has recently been used in some some bioterrorism attacks, so not that good publicity. And also... Cannabis, the coca plant, a botanical basis for cocaine, and hallucinogenic mushrooms as part of a drug education program. Visitors are warned not to touch or smell any of the plants for good reason. So, yeah, a bit of a weird one, but if if you're ever in Northumberland, maybe go check it out. And finally, we have fact number eight. In 1777, in Boston, there was a shortage of coffee and sugar, a very widespread, very severe shortage, I might add. Apparently, a crowd of over 100 angry women marched to a wealthy merchant's warehouse and demanded the keys, and when he refused, they grabbed him by the neck until he agreed. 
They then proceeded to open up the warehouse doors, load the carts up with coffee and sugar, and then leave. I mean, in the days of COVID, um, I don't know how many of you have experienced the food shortages, like what they're having in London or with panic buying, but I have to say, may not have been the right thing to do, but it certainly was effective. Anyway, that's all for today, folks. Thanks for listening to The Ravens Grove. I've been Dahi, you've been awesome, and I'll see you next time.